week going through the book of Philippians, this, this ancient letter that Paul wrote to his friends in the city of Philippi. We spent several weeks looking at it together, and we're going to finish up this morning. And before we, we get back into that letter, uh, I want to sing a couple more songs with you. And I'm, I'm going to start singing a song. I want to invite you to sing with me if you know the song. In fact, I want to implore you to please sing with me. Uh, so this is not as painful as it might be if it's just me up here by myself singing along. So uh, these songs are ones you may or may not know. I think many of you might be familiar with them. This first one is an old song I remember from back when I went to uh, Bible camps and, and Sunday school. Some of you maybe have had that experience. And so just sing this one out if you know it, okay? If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. All right, so very good. You guys got that one. We know that one, okay. All right, let me, uh, we're going to clap together, so see if you can clap with me here. Like this. Because I'm happy, clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. Because I'm happy, clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. Okay, I only hear myself, so we're not going to keep going with that one. That's a little more, kind of more current, so maybe you haven't caught that one just yet. All right, one from way back in the 80s. Now, uh, this one I know you know, but you might not feel comfortable singing, so just be bold with me, all right? All right. Here's a little song I wrote. I hope that you sing it note for note. Don't worry. Mm-mm. But um bum be happy dum dum dum. In every life we have some trouble, but when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry, boom. But um bum be happy dum dum. Don't worry, be happy now. Oh, there you go. I want to see. I want to see if anybody's going to hit the high notes there. So you went for it. Good job. So is that, is that really what it's all about as far as happiness? Is it, is it really that easy? Just don't worry and be happy. Just, just clap it out, right? Just uh, tell your face, you know, look happy, be smiley. Is that really what happiness is all about? Isn't there something deeper that we really want in our lives? And, and there's even a, a bigger question we might need to think about. Does God want me to be happy? Is that important for God that I am happy Aristotle thought a lot about life about 300 years before Jesus was born, and he wrote these words about happiness. He said, happiness is the meaning and the purpose of life, the whole aim and end of human existence. Is that really true? Because if that's true, then I'm missing it, right? If that's really true, why don't I experience more of that happiness in my everyday life? Why is it so often that I don't have experiences of happiness? And and what is really better and deeper than happiness itself? Isn't there something more? Yeah, I hear it. Joy. That's right. Joy. If I'm supposed to be happy, why does it come and go so easily? I don't know about you, but there were times during this last week when I was happy, and then Thursday came, and we got the news about Russia invading the Ukraine. I mean, that was a heavy, it continues to be a heavy moment for us. There's, there's not a lot of happiness with the weight of the reality of this war taking place in our world today. We started our discussion on Philippians talking about the difference between happiness and joy and how happiness is based on the external circumstances around us. When people like us, when we're doing okay, when our goals are being met, we feel happy. But, but those are just externals. Joy is based on an eternal connection that we have with our creator God, the one who loves us and knows us and is renewing us every day 
and using us to serve those in our neighborhood, those who live around us. So the external versus the eternal, happiness versus joy. We spent time talking about that as we looked into Philippians chapter 1. And, and God, we believe God is the most joyful being in all existence. Joy is God's eternal state. Everything he does flows from a posture of joy into our lives and into each one of us. It informs what he says and how he treats his creation. Can you imagine the creation story of Genesis chapter 1 if God wasn't joyful? What that might sound like. If God wasn't informed by joy, if he didn't find joy in the work of creation that he took on in Genesis chapter 1. There's an author and a pastor named John Ortberg, and he kind of wrote down what he thinks Genesis 1 would sound like if it was involved a God who was not joyful, if it was a God just doing his work. And uh, I just want to read it to you because I think it is an interesting to think this through. Here's what John writes. In the beginning, it was 8 o'clock, so God had to go to work. He filled out a request form to separate the light from the darkness. He considered making stars to beautify the night, but it sounded like too much work. And besides, God thought, that's not my job. So he decided to head home early and call it a day. He looked at all that he had done, and God said, it'll have to do. (laughs) A few days later, he made a pigeon to fly in the air and a carp to swim in the water and a cat to creep upon the dry ground. And, And God thought about making millions of others of species of all sizes and all shapes and all colors, but he couldn't drum up any enthusiasm for any other animals. In fact, he wasn't too crazy about the cat. (laughs) Besides, he thought it's almost time for Jimmy Fallon, and God looked at all he had made, and God said, it'll have to do. And at the end of the week, God was seriously burned out, so he breathed a big sigh of relief and said, thank me, it's Friday, you know. And went into his weekend. This, that, that's not how God operates. Aren't we so glad that that's not what the creation story sounds like? That God found tremendous joy in calling the mountains into existence. In creating all kinds of animals of different sizes and shapes. That God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden and loved them. And enjoyed their presence with him. Joy is God's eternal state. And since we're created in the image of God, we are created for joy as well. C.S. Lewis would write that joy is the serious business of heaven. And the Apostle Paul would write in Philippians chapter 4, he would say, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice always, Paul says. He puts joy in the non-optional category. This should be our reality, Paul says. If we aren't finding our joy in God, if we're not joyful, that there's some serious things wrong with our connection with our Father. There are things in our life that are not in line with what God would have us live. Because God created us for joy. There is a being who wants you to live in sadness, but that being is not God. God's desire for you is joy. So let's go back to this letter to the Philippian church in the New Testament. If you want to open up your Bibles or open up your Bible app to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to look at this last chapter together, how Paul finishes up this letter to his friends. And as we read this, I just want to remind you that Paul is writing from prison, right? He's, he's in prison, he's in chains, waiting to see the most powerful person in history at that time, the emperor of Rome, Nero. And he doesn't know if this is going to be the last thing he does, stand before Nero and then his life is going to be taken from him. He doesn't know how long he's going to live. And he's waiting for that moment. And also he's writing to friends that he cares about. These people of, of Philippi, he sat with them. He was in their homes. He sat around their tables. They know one another. 
They love him and he loves them. And so he's writing from that posture. Philippians chapter 4, look at verse 4. These words that we just spoke. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now let's just pause for a moment. That word rejoice, that Greek word there, it's, it's in the New Testament 74 different times. It shows up in this book nine different times. And often it's translated rejoice or joy, but there's times when it's translated as a greeting that someone would share with someone on the road they might be walking by, or when they came into someone's home, or if they went into the throne room of a king, they might say, hail, majesty, hail. That word hail, sometimes translated in the New Testament, is the same Greek word for rejoice. It's the word that Judas said when he came to the garden with a mob to arrest Jesus, and he leaned into Jesus and said, hail, master, and he kissed him on the cheek. That word hail is the same word that Paul uses here for rejoice. There's a connection to a person, a welcome, a welcoming spirit, this, this way of saying, I'm with you, I'm connected to you, hail, rejoice. It's, it's the same word we see here. Rejoice in the Lord, the presence of God brings us joy, and our presence with others can also bring us joy. Paul says, let, um, let your gentleness be evident to all, your connection with other people. Let, let it be av- available to them, this gentleness, this connection you have with others. I like how the message paraphrase translates this, these verses. It says, make it as clear as you can to all that you meet, that you're on their side, working with them, not against them. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. This is one way to think about rejoicing, that we are for other people, that we are with them in life. Now, we might not agree everything they say or everything they do, but we are for them, not against them. That's the posture that God takes in his joy for all people. We are connected to God's presence. We are connected to others. The Lord is near, Paul says. Jesus is is close by, and his return is, is coming soon. The Lord is close by. No matter what you are facing, no matter what external circumstances you are going through, what hardships you are facing, the job challenges, the the relational challenges in your family or among your friends, the feelings that you're having, all those external circumstances, you are connected to an eternal God and his son Jesus is close by. And because of that, there's this possibility to experience joy even in the midst of the lives that we're living. Every once in a while, Jesus would let his mission statement slip out as he was with his friends and talking to others. And in John 15, he's sitting with his friends around the table the, the, day before he's gonna, the night before he's going to give his life on the cross. And he's praying with them and talking about his life with them. And in John 15, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Did you catch his mission statement there? It says, I've come that your joy might be complete. That's what Jesus wants for us, that our joy might be well-rounded, filled up, overflowing from our lives, that our joy might be complete. The problem with humanity, according to Jesus, is not that we're too happy and we need to settle down and get more serious. He says, I want you to be filled with joy, joy overflowing. No matter what circumstances are around you, there's a a trust and a hope and a peace that flows from your life. God wants us to get into joy. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And in case you missed it, he says, again, I say, rejoice. 
And then in verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. As we walk through our everyday lives, sometimes it feels a little bit like we're in a, a boxing ring, and in one corner, are our worries and our anxiety. And the other corner is our connection with God, our conversation with him. And we feel like these two things sometimes fight against us. I don't know if this is your experience, but when you're going through your normal every day and you find out about something, you get some news, you hear a story, you, you talk to a friend and this, these things aren't going well and anxiety starts to come up inside. Fear and worry starts to build inside of you. And in the midst of that, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm with you. Trust me, I'm, I'm alongside you. We have this converse, ongoing conversation with God that seems to be battling against our anxieties. And, and who's going to win out in that fight? And Paul says that your connection with God's going to win out. Prayer is going to win out because it connects us to our, perfectly, our perfect heavenly Father. Prayer wins out because we layer into our, our talk with God gratitude and thankfulness. We talk about how thankful we are that he's with us. Prayer wins out because we start by going to God with things, not thinking about what can I do to handle this situation? How am I going to make it through this? We start with God. And when we live this way, Paul says there's an outcome in verse 7. He says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a peace that comes as we trust God, as we find our joy in him. Joy and peace are connected. God's peace will guard our hearts and our minds. It will stand guard around us. And we will receive this peace that we don't understand. A peace that doesn't always make sense to us. A peace with God and the peace of God. Have you ever experienced that kind of peace with God? You've gone into your week or into your work day and, and there's all these things happening and a normal human would be freaked out be afraid, would be worried, would be anxious, but you find yourself having a sense like, I'm, I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. God's here. We're going to make it through this. Have you ever had those kinds of experiences? I'd love for you to take a moment around your table or just turn to the person next to you and, and to share one of those stories in your life, a time, when, um, a time when you felt at peace when normally you would have felt fear or anxiety or worry, a time when God showed up in a, in a different kind of way, and you experienced his peace, even though that would not be normally what someone should experience. Let me just share one of my examples of that in my life, and then you guys can talk for a moment around your tables. Uh, when I was, I became a single dad about seven years ago, and some tragic things in my family, and, and about a month into this experience of being a, a single dad with three kids, uh, high school, middle school, and elementary school, three different schools, working full-time, I spent a month just freaked out anxious, worried, afraid. How was I going to do this? How am I supposed to live life on my own, taking care of these three, still working full time? And I had day after day was just filled with stress and worry and anxiousness. And about a month into that, a family invited our family up into the mountains with them to go four-wheeling for a Saturday. And so we got up that morning. I started with stress. But as we drove up there, I felt things changing. And I spent eight hours with this family eating meals and four-wheeling and just taking a nap and as I was driving home after that day, I realized that I wasn't stressed out. I wasn't anxious during that time. There was a sense that we're going to be okay, that God's with us, that this story is not the story I thought I was going to have, but it's still a good story. And God is with me. And I had a sense of calmness and assurance and availability to my kids. I could be with them without fear. So, so what's a story like that in your life? A time when 
Like normally this would be anxiousville for you, but you had a sense that God was present with you. So take a, a few minutes around your table and maybe it's just one of you can share because this is a harder story to think of on the moment. Um, but maybe one of you can share a story like this. Again, this is, describe a time when you felt at peace when you normally would have felt fear. Okay, I'll give you a couple minutes. Go ahead and do that. All right, one more minute, one more minute, okay. All right, let me encourage you to start wrapping those up. Uh, Jared, I want to invite you to come up. All right, good job. Thanks for sharing those around the table. Appreciate that. It's uh, good to be vulnerable and to share what's going on. I want Jared to share one of his stories with us um, because we know you have a life of adventure. And uh, (laughs) I would just love for us to get to know Jared a little bit more. So I asked him to share one with us too. Very good. Uh, Thank you, Nate. Yeah. Um, for me, I think when Nate asked me this question, the first thing that came to my mind was maybe one of the more stressful periods in my own life, and it was when we were serving overseas um, in Bolivia as missionaries. And during that time, we were working in this small town called San Ignacio de Velasco, which was kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And we had been holding this um, this week-long course for pastors and church leaders in our city. And afterwards, a group of them were traveling back to their own villages in a pickup truck, uh, 10 of them in the truck, and the truck flipped. And it was a Sunday afternoon, and we were in, we were in the house, and I can remember it was just it was a peaceful day, and then somebody knocks on my door, and they were like, you're Jaime, right? I was like, yeah, I'm, they call me Jaime in Spanish. And and they said, some of your friends are in the hospital and they're asking for you. And I was confused. I didn't know what happened. And so I went to the hospital and found um, 
all of these people who had been in the truck, who had just been at our course in various conditions. And over the course of the next two months, uh, my life was consumed with gathering resources, helping navigate the system, uh, the hospital system, helping get people to hospitals in different parts of the country. And it was incredibly stressful. And during that time, two of our friends passed away from that accident. And I just remember every day waking up for about a two-month period just knowing what confronted me that day, what was waiting for me, and just in terms of the of the logistics and trying to navigate things and trying to help and the grief and all of that. And just in the middle of that, I can't say that I was overcome by this peaceful, easy feeling, but I can say that I was aware that God was with us the whole time, that he was there, that he was guiding, that he was giving strength in the middle of that situation. And for me, uh, when I look back, I go, yeah, it, it's not that our life is always going to have just smooth sailing and it's going to feel easy, but there is the sense that um, when we pray, um, God shows up and he is with us and he's providing that sense of, of stability and peace in the middle of storms. And so that, that's my experience. Appreciate that. If you have an NIV study Bible... At the bottom of this passage in Philippians 4, there's these words in the study notes. The peace of God is the opposite of anxiety. It's the tranquility that comes when a Jesus follower commits all their cares to God in prayer and worries about them no more. And I, I read that and it's, that is so true, but it's so hard to say, I'm going to worry about this no more. You know, that every day I'm going to continue and trust God with the things going on in my life. Last summer, we talked about worry here on a Sunday morning, and I introduced you to uh, what we called my, my worry box. Do you guys remember this box? And we put it on a table up front here, and I invited you to write down some of the things you were anxious about and worried about and come up and put it in the box. And, you know, I still got some of them, some of them in here, things that we were worried about. This has been living in my office for the last uh, eight months or six months. Your worries have been with me in my office, so just so you know. <laughs> you wrote down things like retirement, um, addiction, family squabbles, my, my heart issues, uh, things that, that worry and, and cause us to be anxious and worried. And we talked about how we put them in this box and say, God, we're going to trust you with these things. But the problem is we want to go back in the box and pull them out again, you know, and, and continue to worry about them. And every day it's a choice to, to keep these in God's hands instead of trying to take them back on our, on our own ability and our own strength. The peace of God is something we don't understand, and he stands guard around our hearts and our minds. Look at verse 8. Verse 7, he talks about this peace we don't understand that, that guards our hearts and minds, and, and, it says, and it's connected to what we think about. In verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, like to sum it up, in conclusion, that the best way to partner with God in protecting your heart and your mind is to consider what you fill your thoughts with, the kinds of things that you dwell on in your everyday. And Paul is talking about our active and our passive thoughts. 
So those passive thoughts that just sort of pop into your mind when you're driving to work or walking to the next class, the things that just sort of float in when you have moments of, of quiet, as rare as those might be, when, when you have them, the thoughts that just sort of come into your mind, those passive things, but also active thoughts, things that you give time to, mentally commit to, details that you spend time counting and graphing and organizing. And Paul gives a list here of the kinds of things that we want our minds filled with, the adjectives that should describe those passive and those active thoughts that fill our minds. And so I want you to just think about this for a moment with me. Consider something that you've been thinking about lately, something that's been filling your, your minds, your, your thought life. Uh, it could be a relationship that's important to you. Uh, it could be someone that you really care about. It could be someone that really annoys you. And, and they're sort of filling your minds. Maybe it's a, a book you're reading, and you think about the story of that book, even when you're not reading it. Or it could be a movie or a TV show you're streaming that just sort of fills your mind. Even when you're not watching, you're thinking about that story or that reality. Maybe it's uh, some music that you've been listening to or, or a new a musician that you're obsessing over, and those songs are just filling your mind. You spend a lot of time thinking about that. All right, you all have maybe something that's filling, you're, you're able to identify that. So now, as you're thinking about that thing or that person, do these words describe it? True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Do those words describe the thing that you think about, those things that fill your mind? And if those words don't describe it, what are the words that would describe it? What are the adjectives you would apply? If we're honest, there are things that fill our minds that, that do not fit those words. I have things, I have shows and songs that sometimes I hear or listen to or watch, and I wouldn't say that they're pure or praiseworthy. Does that affect my ability to experience God's peace and joy in my heart and in my mind? Yeah, it does. It directly can interfere with what God wants to do with us. And that's why we need grace that's why we need God's continuing transformation of our lives, that he continue to help us grow and refine who we are. We need his mercy. God created our minds and our brains. He put them together. And as researchers and doctors and counselors continue to discover more and more about how our thought life affects our realities, it's just fascinating to see God reveals more and more of himself in that. One, um, one counselor and author writes about our thoughts this way. It says, your thoughts form your character, how you operate in the world, and how far you travel mentally, physically, and spiritually. You are what you think you are, and all of your actions proceed from your thought. Your inner thoughts will always be reflected in, in your outer circumstances because self-generated changes in your life are always preceded by changes in the way you think about something. Some challenging words in there. You are what you think you are. I'm so thankful that God can renew our minds. That there's times when we think we are something that we actually aren't. We sang songs today that talked about, you know, you are enough, God, because it says you are, you are already chosen. You're already loved. We were singing about ourselves. We're already children of God. We are loved by him. That is what is true. We don't always think that way. We need God to renew our minds, to renew our thoughts. And as we start to believe what is true about us, that we are God's children, as we start to believe that, it will have an effect on how we live among those around us. It will come out of our minds and affect how we treat others, what we do and what we say. It will find expression there. So Paul finishes up in verse 9. 
He says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Whatever you've seen me do, Paul says, put it into practice. God wants us practicing the way of Jesus. So often we put perfection on ourselves. Like if I mess up, I'm not perfect. I need to be perfect with God. God doesn't want us perfection, uh, seeking perfection. He wants us practicing the way of godliness. He wants us training ourselves to live out the way of Christ. He doesn't want us giving it our best shot or trying really hard. He wants us go, experiencing things today that can help us live in ways in the future that honor him and exp- reveal him to those around us. The practices of our faith, the spiritual practices, prayer, reading scripture, communities, knowing others and sharing life with others, serving, being generous with our time, solitude and silence, all these practices that help us engage with God and allow him to renew our minds and help us to experience a joy beyond our circumstances and a peace beyond our understanding. That's what he offers us, a joy beyond our circumstances and a peace Beyond our understanding. Stop trying harder to live perfectly and instead practice the way of Christ. Follow his example. That's what Paul is calling his friends to do. He says, whatever you've learned or received or seen me do or say, do those things. That's a pretty bold statement from Paul if you think about it. Imagine coming to your family or a group of friends and saying, hey, whatever I've said, just keep saying those things. Whatever I've done, just keep doing those things and you're going to be like Jesus. That's what Paul says to them. And it's like, wow, Paul. Either he's really proud or he knows something we don't know. I'm really grateful that there's other letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament that help fill out our understanding of who he is. Paul writes about practicing here in Philippians 4. He also writes about it in Romans 7. In Romans 7, he writes these words, I don't really understand myself, Paul says. For what I want to do, I want to do what is right, but I don't practice it. Instead, I do what I hate. So I'm not the one practicing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. Paul says, I want to I practice this way of life, but I don't always do it. I want to do what is right, but sometimes I do what I know I don't want to do. And since I don't want to do that, I know it's not me doing it. It's the brokenness in my life. It's, my, it's the sin in me, the things that fill my mind, the things that fill my, my heart. Paul says, we need God's work in us. We need his training. We need God's grace and our mercy and his mercy in our lives. And Paul says, there are times when I've gotten it right. There's times when I've lived in the ways that, that honor God. So when, I, when you see me living those ways, Paul says, do what I do. do. Say what I say. And it starts with the things that we ruminate on, the things that fill our minds. Whatever we think about will sooner or later come out in what we say and what we do. So join with God in guarding your heart and your mind. Cooperate with God. Partner with God. Think about the things you're taking in the things that you're allowing to fill your mind. And, and the peace of God will be with you, Paul says. The peace of God will be with you. In some translations, it puts the word then in there. Then the peace of God, God's peace will be with you. There's a cause and effect here that Paul writes about. When you live and you train yourself for godliness, then the peace of God will settle down upon you. And it's God's peace that allows us to live joyful lives, to experience joy a trust and a belief that God is with us, that no matter what we are facing, he has us, we are his, and we are together. There's some great key verses at the end of Philippians 4. What I'd like you to do, one more thing around your tables before we finish up this morning. We're going to put these three verses on the screen here. I'd like you just to choose one of those verses as a table, read it together, and then just share, what does that say to you? 
about walking with Christ? What does that verse mean to you about walking with Jesus? All right, so just pick one verse, read it together, and then just talk to each other. And this is, you can just turn to the person next to you if you want to, and, and just say, here's what I see that saying. All right, take about two minutes to do that, okay? Go ahead. Just pick one verse. All right, one more minute, one more minute. Okay, you want to finish up those conversations? Great job. Next Sunday, we'll be, um, we're going to be resetting the room for next Sunday. We'll be back in rows. This has been a fun experiment to try these tables out. I've had a lot of good feedback. I think they might make an appearance again in the future. Um, but just so you, know, so you know your expectations, next Sunday we'll be back in kind of the normal setup. But it's been good to try this out, and I think it reminds us of, of the power of reading Scripture together, sharing our stories and how God speaks through those stories and, uh, and helps us to see what Scripture has to say to us today. And I'm just so thankful for going through this letter together. It's an invitation that, that Paul gives us to experience joy in our everyday lives. And just encourage you to continue to read it and allow Scripture to speak to you. And, and be reminded this morning that what you fill your minds with speaks into the joy that you're able to experience in this life. And, and if you're not sensing God's joy in your everyday, maybe one of the first questions to ask is, what am I filling my mind with? What am I dwelling on? What am I listening to and taking in? And start to choose to fill it with the words of God, with the songs of God, with the people of God, um, and, and what he's saying to you so that you, you can hear him in new ways. Let's continue to ask God to help us live this way. Will you pray with me? Father God, we're so thankful that we can read scripture together, that this letter from 2,000 years ago continues to encourage us and call us back to you, Father. We're so thankful that you created us for joy 
that we would experience a, a peace and a settledness in our lives that would give us confidence in who you are and in your presence with us. Father, would you help us to consider today what it means to stand guard in front of our hearts and our minds, what it means to be careful about what we lit into our thoughts, the kinds of things that we fill our mind with. Lord, help us to see areas we can change and what it means to practice, practice the way of Jesus. Help us to engage with those training exercises that can help us to live out spiritually in new ways. Something that I can do today that will enable me to do something in the future that I couldn't do today by direct effort alone. Lord, we need your help in these training exercises. Thank you for not um, leaving us as we are, but transforming us and breathing your life into us. We offer ourselves to you, and it's because of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.